0: Welcome everyone to this episode of Monetizing Your Mental Capital. I am super excited. Dimitri and I met each other just earlier this year. We immediately exchanged cell phone numbers and like, we're the kind of guys that want to text about random ideas and be like, dude, did you see this yet? Very excited to have you here, Dimitri. Thanks for joining the show. Absolutely, Will. Thanks for inviting. I'm looking forward to chatting. So Dimitri, the first thing I want to get out of the way here is why, you know, if a a seller just began this episode, who is Dimitri? Like, why should they stick around and listen? I know you don't like to toot your own horn. So if you don't toot it too loud, I'll toot it really loud for you. But I'm curious, what about you makes you someone who would be interesting to listen to around monetizing your mental capital?
1: Cool. Yeah, I've been online forever. I got started a long time ago and I'll I'll give my two minute pitch on the last, you know, almost 30 years. And that sounds horrible. Uh, Almost 30 years, (laughs) basically. Yeah, I, got, I used to work for NORAD. I am a software developer at heart. I have a degree in computer science and I used to develop uh, systems for the defense department and I was online in 89, 90, 91, 92, and then I graduated in 93 at a college. And so I was online prior to worldwide, the World Wide web. I remember the first browser that came out, the first website, Gopher, Telnet, NetNews, all that stuff that was all like, you know, text-based and 600,000 people online. And I moved to New York, I got a job on Wall Street, was doing my portfolio management development for systems, writing code for them. And I lost my internet access because I had no longer worked for DoD and been involved in an institution. So I was like, I have to do something to get back online. Lucky for me, my landlord didn't mind me putting a fiber optic line in the bedroom and adding a little rack of modems and then proceeding to like sell internet access for $10 a month, which was nothing at that point. And this is pre-AOL. So anyway, that ended up turning into a business and I had no idea what the heck I was doing, making all kinds of crazy mistakes, thinking, you know, that I can write my own, you know, accounting software and build people directly. I didn't even know what QuickBooks was at the time. Anyway, lots of mistakes, but it didn't matter. I was like stuck under a waterfall with a bucket and I was just catching the waters is dropping because everybody was hopping online on the information superhighway. and the mistakes didn't matter. I was able to build a business in New Jersey and New York and quit my job and I ended up selling it two years later to Earthlink in 96 and I was 26 years old. So I've been online for a really long time, and I've had four exits since then. I build software and sell it. I built a patent portfolio with a real-time traffic system and sold that to Apple. I sold stuff to American Express. I built a brand on Amazon because I want to try real-world products. I sold that during the big aggregator push. Now I'm running a couple new projects, and uh, I'm just uh, loving what I do. I don't have a job. I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I've I've got experience in a lot of different things over the last number of years so hopefully hopefully that's why you, should,
0: you know well, what you're saying is you've been around the block once or twice and if somebody hasn't been around the block yet you might know a thing or two about avoiding some of those potholes is is basically what we're saying here yeah absolutely <laughs> i love it so tell me you, you and you did a fantastic job of talking through your your entrepreneurial origin so to speak And I love you You started working DOD and you were coding and you were on the internet before it was the internet and, you know, out there uh, doing your thing. I I want to dig into that very first opportunity that you, and in my opinion, you monetized some knowledge right there because you basically, you knew what the internet was before a lot of people did and you lost internet access and you were like, well, crap, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I mean, and had you not used the internet before, you wouldn't have known to go look for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good
1: point. I never really thought of it that way, but you're right. I, you know, imagine somebody tomorrow says, Hey, you're, you're, or your internet gets shut off. You've made all these relationships with people and you've learned how to use those tools to make your life easier to manage and entertaining and all that. I mean, that all existed just in a different form when I was on the internet for, you know, three or four years. And there was only 600,000 people at the time. So absolutely, you lose it and you realize that was something that you uh, you just have to figure out how to get access to. And lucky for me, I was in computer science. I used to run a bulletin board system as a kid. I don't know if I'm now super dating myself, but I have my little Commodore computer and a little modem connected to it and people would dial into the BBS. And so I had a little bit of experience before even college on how to like set up a sort of like dial into my network.
0: Okay, wait, hold on. What? tell me what was that you, you a bulletin board no we, we need to go back there What yeah. what is a bulletin board system
1: so i yeah i started a long 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 time ago on computers because i was just geeky and you know i think it was like sixth grade or something so anyway I, again dating completely dating myself i got a commodore 64 and i used to run like a well without getting into any trouble i used to run like a software exchange let's call it and
0: um I put, <laughs> <laughs> <I put> a, <laughs> a software exchange. Hmm, this smells like Napster. <laughs> okay. No so, idea what we're talking about. But yeah, I um
1: yeah, so I ran a system where people could use their modems on their computers and dial my phone number into my computer and communicate with each other and exchange software and things like
0: that. And you know, yeah. So sixth that's grade. All that. Is that what you said? Yeah, sixth yeah, grade? Like sixth, sixth grade, yeah. Okay, so that's but I love you know without getting into trouble, it was a software exchange. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so okay. Well, and this is honestly before a lot of the even laws came around around a lot of this stuff because nobody knew yeah. you could even do any of it. I mean, so many things. So, okay, so you knew how to do some of that connecting work because you had man, this is amazing. You had a felt need back in sixth grade for entertainment. Was that I mean, what got you into like just uh, deciding uh, to do that? A,
1: yeah you know that's a good question yeah I uh let me see well I, I got the computer I was excited about it and I played with it and messed around and I felt like I, I sort of didn't know where else it's going to go and you watch war games you're like oh this guy dialed into some systems with a modem and so I got to get a modem so I put a modem on my computer and I'm like okay what well, can I dial into it, or can I hack into it? and I started whatever doing stuff <laughs> that it started and- dialing
0: into different places just like they
1: did on work. (laughs) Just doing different things. And then I just, I started to meet people and I realized like, hey, there's an opportunity to build up a little group here, an environment. And, you know, a little, uh, so without exaggerating, it got to be, it got to be like pretty, I got, it was almost actually, it was almost like running a business because I would be, I had people that were like, they weren't getting paid, but they were working, working. They were like working with me to uh, collect stuff uh software and then i would mail it overseas and then i would import it and i'd be the first one to have it and we put our like our screens on it and anyway i, I ran this little group and yeah uh, we ended up yeah we ended up getting you know decent sized and whatever i got a lot of experience managing yeah you did people, yeah you did and yeah it was cool it was a lot of fun it just became like this
0: this crazy sort of like how you many, know, how many, how big did the group get?
1: I mean, we were at one point we were almost the second largest. They're called they're crack we were cracking software, if you know what I, if you know. Okay.
0: That okay, we the like, second yeah. largest in the world.
1: And we were second largest in the US, in the US.
0: In the US. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were distributing quite a bit. But
1: we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. It was before, like you said, before the laws. Yeah. This is like days of like CompuServe and yeah. proxy yeah. blowing 2600 Hertz into like a telephone to reset the dial tone so you can make a free call kind of stuff. Yes. Right? yes. Those, yeah. So that's where I, <laughs> that's my background. <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> so I love that. I'd super appreciate that you're willing to get vulnerable and talk about that because I think that's just a nugget that people will really appreciate understanding. Like, you know, you watch some of those old movies and you watch some of those old, old pieces. Like this is an episode Brandon Checkets has got to listen to because Brandon <laughs> also has some experience Around the world of old computers and hacking systems, and just just it's just interesting to hear the entrepreneurial gene. This this idea of like I gotta figure out how to break things or figure out how things work or oh wow a modem I need a modem. What do you need a modem for? Like and then the idea of like security. People are like I didn't even know I needed security. Like what are you you're telling me some twelve year old can get in? (laughs) It doesn't even they don't even fathom. But you're so curious around the world and what's going on there that that knowledge just becomes something that's, did you make any money on any of the knowledge that was going on in, no, in... I
1: don't, no I ended up for me it was more like I, I guess the word was uh I mean it, it felt really uh what's the word? Felt validating powerful,
0: powerful. It felt, yeah, yeah it felt
1: really like I had I had some Control. influence yeah and yeah. it was fun you know and people were very excited to talk to me about stuff and, yeah you know?
0: Oh, kid. you're the guy that started this thing. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, you're the yeah. guy
1: who. Wow, it's, I've got your. Wow, I've got some of your stuff on my computer, and you're. That's yeah. You're know, like, I love that little screen with the two planets and the electrical bolts going through. I'm like, oh yeah, I did that at night one night, Let's staying up late, like you know, like stuff like, <laughs> stuff like that. Like it was just yeah. Cool. So yeah. no, I got that, and it sent it sent me to the computer science field. I mean, I ended up because of that going in for comp sci, and yeah, yeah and it it kind of steered me, but it was fun, and but it set me up for the ISP.
0: I knew how to set up modems. Hey, and you but, passed uh, all of the background checks for Department of Defense. You have a clean. Man, isn't that, that insane? totally I did. clean. Like- I
1: totally <laughs> did. And the funny thing is, <laughs> I'll tell you a really quick story. I was working at Peterson Air Force Base, and I got hired to break into their system to see if I can get the password file. And I went in, and I was born in Kiev, by the way. I'm Ukrainian. That's my background. And so okay, okay. I went into the Peterson Air Force Base, and there was a security guy with me. And I brought my tools on a on. A, there's no floppies. It was like a tape drive, and this was like Sun workstations and things, right? Like big computers. And I get escorted in. They sign me in. They sign in the paperwork, whatever. I go in. I get on the computers. I pop in the disks. I do my thing, and I I 45 minutes. I get it. I get access. To you had the password file, and I got it. I'm in. Did my job, right? I got hired for this. Wrote it all up. I'm walking out the door. Security guy. I got my. I take my tools back. The tape. I pop it on the desk. Whatever. I'm good to go. I leave get in my car, I'm driving back. This is Colorado Springs, right? This is like near Cheyenne mountain. So literally it's like war games. And so I I drive into like my red lion hotel. I'm walking down the home, the phone is ringing in my room. And I'm like, hey. so I pick up the phone and it's my supervisor. And she's like, Dimitri, are you, but um, you're, you're back at the hotel. I'm like, yeah. She's like, do you have a, like tape with you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have the mag. Yeah, I have the tape that has the software. So can you grab that? And just come, come back to Peterson, please? I'm like, okay. So I get in the car, I drive back to Peterson Air Force Base. Now this time I pull into Peterson and there's two MPs waiting for me and military police, right? And they're like, oh, come with me. I'm like, what the hell did I do, right? Like, I don't know what I did. And they escort me into the building again and now pass the same security guy who now is looking at me like I did something horrible. <laughs> and he takes me to the back room and I open the door and there's my supervisor. And she's like sitting like stiff as a board. And across from her is, a, is like a three-star general. And on his, and by the way, the ride from the hotel to like Peterson's like 15 minutes and on his desk is the life story of dmitri he's got everything about dmitri that he possibly could have on his desk printed out like ready to go including my russian birth certificate right so he looks at me and i'm looking at her and she's like can i have the, the tape please i'm like sure here and she goes you um You can't take magnetic media out of a secure facility once it's brought in because they don't know what else you put on it. So that becomes a classified piece of material and it has to stay at the facility. And I'm like, oh. I didn't know that. Nobody told me that. And the security guy that was with me was supposed to watch out for me as a student because I was a student to ensure that I don't do something something stupid like this, right? Anyway, I got a black X. If you get three, you can't work for the government. But um, yeah, the expression on his face with my Russian birth certificate. And it was,
0: anyway... Twenty minutes later, they're like, "Okay, he's
1: not a spy." But uh, that was, oh my uh, gosh, that was that, a, that was an experience okay. for
0: sure. So, Dimitri, somebody this is going to be a movie. But <laughs> <laughs> that, that literally sounds like a scene from a movie. Um, c- could you come back to Peterson, please? And then, like, you walk in. I, I just, I can see the camera, you know, panning over to the three-star general <laughs> and him just looking at you, like, and then you know, and then the pan down to the the Russian birth certificate, and then the look on your face when you realize why he's yeah. looking at you that way and you're like yeah, that was oh, it was scary yeah it was it scary for sure but uh, wow yeah, that was okay experience. Well, you passed all of that you're in okay so you all of this knowledge has brought you to computer science and now you you did the job at the, at the dod and, and were you still doing no you weren't doing the job at the dod because that's how you lost your internet right
1: correct yeah i'm an only child my parents are' i I'm from New New Jersey, New York. And they're just like, why are you still in Boston? You graduated. You should come down to New Jersey and you should like, you know, get a job on Wall Street or whatever.
0: Yeah. And I was playing a
1: band and I was like, I didn't want to leave Boston, but whatever. Okay. Let me, let me, let me go take an interview with somebody. And so Christmas Eve, I get three interviews in New York. That should have told me how insane they are on Wall Street anyway. Who's interviewing at six o'clock at night on Christmas Eve, but what Okay. I go in for three interviews and I get a job offer on the spot and they gave me a job offer. And it was like 50% more money. It was Whoa. A lot more money. like, yes. okay,
0: yeah, I need to move money.
1: Well, and when I went home, my mom's like, so how'd it go? I'm like, she gave me a job offer. She's like, Oh, how much? And then I told her, she's like, Oh, good. Where are you moving? <laughs> Meanwhile, New York is so much more expensive than Boston. So it's all really the same, but you know, yeah. Figure that out. Yeah. And yeah. And then I picked up and a month later, I was like, I was back home working for a company on wall street and, And then realizing, oh, damn it, I didn't think this through. I need to get back online. I need internet.
0: I need internet again. So, okay. So, and I love that. One of the things that we've found is kind of a pattern in these episodes as we've been looking at it. Is generally speaking, the monetization of knowledge starts with a stubbed toe, as as Chad Rubin said. He's like, it's a stubbed toe. And, and he was quoting, I wrote down, I wrote down his name, George Peterson, I think. And he, he, you know, a problem is just an opportunity for adventures, is the way that he described it. So your stubbed toe in this scenario was oh man, I'm no longer connected.
1: Right, right, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I have to find a solution. And lucky for me, I, I had the background to do it. You know, I didn't. Again, I didn't expect it to become a business. I really didn't. One mess after another. Uh, my roommate had moved down with me because he's like, "Oh, you got more money? I'm moving with you." And so he, he, we started it together. He, he was like, "Okay, well, let's go and do this." And yeah, it was quite the uh, internet yeah, service. It was quite provider. the realization. Yeah, it was quite the realization that I, I had to do something. And then, and then when it started to grow, it was really wild because we added like 50 customers in the first 3 months and i was like okay it's sort of like it's not it's nothing it's 50 customers but it sort of subsidizes the cost a little bit of the fiber optics yeah and then it went to like 100 customers after 6 and i was like oh okay and then it went to 200 customers and then it went to four, like it was exponential and i didn't realize what was going on because we were you know it was just it was slow well, growth for
0: you it was slow i mean they, that's actually super interesting cuz you know 50 to 100 to 200 like it's, it is an exponential curve, but and you think about the number of people, that's not that exciting right. until you probably start getting into the ne- you know the next higher tiers.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so we started to grow, and I realized okay, now we have thirty two phone lines in the bedroom, and the the landlord's not going to give us any more. And we started looking for space, and I got I fell into a lucky space. We were in like Jersey City, and the, I walked into a real estate agent. The guy's like. He heard me say what I'm looking for. I was like, I need a space that I can put a bunch of phone lines in. And his jaw dropped. And he looked at me and went, I have the perfect space for you. And he took me to this like building and it was in the basement and it was disgusting. It was disgusting. It was like so nasty, but it used to be an old beeper company. And if you don't know what beepers are, I mean, you
0: probably know what beepers oh, are. Oh yeah, I know what a beeper is. Well,
1: yeah, it was a beeper company and it was pre-wired with 200 phone lines. And I was holy like,
0: holy crap. I was like,
1: take God, take, yes. Yes, give it to please put me, me in here. Yeah, ugly, no problem. We're good to go. And we ended up like, yeah, we ended up on on that. And that was the beginning, beginning, (laughs) it was the beginning of it. And then we opened the place in the city in New York and we just kind of went making lots of mistakes, man, along the way.
0: I bet. I bet. So, I mean, and those mistakes are actually that opportunity for adventure and growth. And like, that's those are the stub toes that give you additional knowledge. And if we were to go pick this apart, this spider web, I bet there's all sorts of mistakes that you made in there that helped you get to the places where you were in these other entrepreneurial journeys that kind of helped you guide, okay, this is how I'm going to go there. Or this is the idea I'm going to build here. Or look at those different pieces. I I have a feeling we could go dig way deep into that. Yeah, you could you could
1: totally do that. But uh, yes, yes, absolutely. I, one of the things that you got to tell you, like I only learn from making mistakes. I mean, I make mistakes all the time. I still make them today. The key is not to make the same mistake twice. And Mm. think about the mistake, right? And figure out like, what did I do wrong? And what should I have done better? And also really important is to recognize that a mistake comes in different forms, but it's the same mistake. Mm. So don't get caught off guard a second time because you didn't recognize the fact that it really is exactly the same mistake. It's just presenting itself a little bit differently. Interesting. Um, And that's how I've been able to grow and take on, quite honestly, take on businesses that I know nothing about. And I just get involved in because it's just a business and I feel like I've dealt with those issues before and the other things I've done mm-hmm. and feel confident that I can be successful at that new venture that I may not have any experience with in the past. I yeah. run a trade show, as you know, and I never ran a trade show before, but we've been able to double it in size, you know, since I got involved just two years ago, mm-hmm. consistently growing it just by being conscious. Yeah. Of focus
0: focus on those mistakes and and, and understand okay, what's the subconscious part of this mistake? What, how is it the same as all the others and how can we eliminate it to, to really grow? I love that. I love yeah. that. So after you monetize the knowledge of connecting, because I love that you gained this knowledge back as a sixth grader running you know, a syndicate. <laughs> and that's the knowledge you monetized in creating this ISP. Or, you know, what was before an ISP? Then, after that, what did you, what was the next, what was the next journey? You, you mentioned it in the origin as you described it, but what was the next thing that you, you did Yeah. You so,
1: so, yeah, sold that So, sold the ISP to Earthlink. And then I realized, well, I'm, I'm a young guy and we are on this verge of, you know, 96 now and on the internet, mm-hmm. still very early. And what can I do? And I'm like, well, we're developers, so I can create, you know, a web development company. And the web development company back then is not what it is today. Web development back then was a glorified yellow page advertisement. There's no database connections. There's not like, it's just big static pages and got to look beautiful. And my competition was companies like Saatchi and Saatchi, which are ad agencies. Right. Mm -hmm. And they've got like these crazy graphic people. And like, that was my competition. But what I realized was like, I know technology is going to get better. Yeah. HTML doesn't support certain things at that time, but. That's not the point. I know PHP. I know something's coming. Something's coming. Whatever that is. Pearl, right? Came first, whatever. That's going to allow me to actually create some functionality with these web pages and make it a front end to an interface. Mm. And I'm just going to wait it out. And it won't take that long. And it didn't, maybe six months, a year. And I was able then, we went to the first internet world show at the Javits with Meckler Media in 97. Mm-hmm. We got it, was, it cost like, I don't know, seven grand or eight grand. It was reasonable. It was real money. And we had to build a booth and all that. And I ended up grabbing like Merck and Ortho and Scientific American, the Associated Press and (laughs) Stock Exchange and all of the, Alec Baldwin, Judy Collins, like all these people would come to our booth. We were like one of two developers and they're all pitching like beautiful pages. I'm like, check this out. You can like log in and like bring up some data. And like, they're like, you know, how much is this? And so I was able to build a web development company called Digital Ink, I-N-K, which grew nicely. And then I realized something else about agencies that I didn't like. And that was, you know, it was you're constantly out there finding new business. And I missed that repetitive monthly income from the ISP. Yeah. So I was was like, what am I going to do here? I have to fix this. And I was like, oh, they need to host their websites. Hoster.com, which I still have. We're going to launch Hoster.com and they're going to pay me every month for hosting. And that's
0: repetitive monthly income. Yay, much easier. So, okay. So breaking this down, I love the knowledge. I feel like I like to dig into the nugget of where did the knowledge come from that you monetized, right? So in this situation, you had the foresight to say, you know what? Okay, this, and Chad was mentioning this earlier today, We, We we you both just happened to be recorded on the same day. So he said, look for suppositions people are making that are in error, meaning the status quo or... The way the world thinks about this. And for him, that's what he he founded prophecy on this idea that, you know, you don't change your price on Amazon. It, you know, it's something that you keep static. That status quo, he was like, I'm gonna challenge that. Because as a seller, that was something he was trying to do. And I think that the thing you challenged is it doesn't matter how beautiful they are, there's gonna be a way that there is something more, you know, that static web pages are the best, or static web pages are all there is. Like this is the idea that you challenged, and you began to look for. An alternate, and I'm guessing that that actually probably came going back to your syndicate sixth grade experience with with the with the software. Like you knew the basics of an interface, you knew the basics of how a database connects to an interface, and that and you were like, this is just another interface. They just haven't figured out how to make it so that the interface can actually connect to a database and and, and do more than it's already doing. That was essentially the exactly. the, the idea.
1: That's exactly it. That's what gave us the advantage. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what gave the advantage. And, you know, that was funny. We pitched, I pitched the stock exchange. I was really quick story. I, I got, we did a, a job for a company called, boy, what was it called? Well, whatever, a subsidiary of the stock exchange. And we did a good job, SIAC, Security and Information Corporation. And they brought us in. And I walk into this room and the stock exchange, the very top floor is like a really long table. that sits 70 or 80. It's all granite. It's exactly what you'd expect. It's like a massive room and big hall. And I'm sitting there and, and everybody's seat is labeled. So there's Dell, there's Gateway, there's like all these massive, massive companies. And there's a little tiny digital link, right? We're like 40 people, right? Little little company. And the woman that's running this thing rolls in this cart. And now the cart is an old CRT television with a VCR tape, really dating myself. It's like 98. Love it. Like love it. 99. She pops in the tape and she goes, okay, you're all here because we we need to hire a company to develop our real-time trading system for all the members, member firms, like Merrill Lynch for bond trading, right? Merrill Lynch, wh- whoever's part of the stock exchange. And we are controlled by the SEC and you have to, we're all going to watch the same videotape for 20 minutes. You're going to have a chance to ask questions for 20 minutes. And then you're all going to give us a proposal in three months and we're going to pick the one that, you know, right? And so she pops video <laughs> videotape in and we watch this thing and they show what they're looking at and She's like, okay, who's got some questions? And I'm looking at the table and nobody is raising their hand. And what I realized was everybody that had gone to this thing, we're all salespeople. Nobody had a tech background. So I'm like, question, do we need to do this? Do we need to do this? Blah, 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 blah. blah. I'm asking all these questions. and writing it down. And they're all just like scribbling away, like all the notes that I'm saying, because I just need to know, like, I know what we need to do. I just need to hear the pieces that oh, I need a to dev together. Yeah, I'm a dev, right? I come back to the office and I'm like, okay, guys, whatever we're doing, we're going to be, we're going to pitch this. And I knew that Hoster was not a big enough data center. At that time, there was a company called Exodus Communications and they were like the data center. They were the first public company. Yeah. 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 And they were run by like an ex IBM or something. Anyway, Uh we put our facilities in there and I called them and I'm like, Hey, Like I've got to deal with this potentially to pitch the stock exchange. We need hosting and we need development. We'll do development. You guys can absolutely handle the hosting. You need to help me with the hosting side of this proposal. They're like, no problem here. We did this one for Ford. And they gave me this like 50 page document they did for Ford. I took it, I reworked it. I put a bunch of stuff in whatever and I gave a quote out the stock exchange. And here's the, let. here's, i learned a couple of things here. Oh, and by the way, there was an empty seat at the table. It was like Dell and gateway and all these people and there was like an empty seat and nobody was sitting at it. And i was like, okay, that's weird. I sent them the proposal. And this is the hardest thing. It took me a very long time to overcome this about myself. I immediately want to pick up the phone and call them and be like, hey, how's it going? Like, did you get my proposal? Like, what do you think? Right? Like, you just, it's human nature. You want to know. But I learned that that up de la point, I already learned, you cannot seem over eager to get business, even if it's the New York Stock Exchange. And you cannot, you have to play by their timeline. And so for three weeks, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, you know, we're doing other things, but like, I can't help this. This will make the business, right? You can't, can't you
0: help. can't help, but think about where could that. this, this could be like this, this, everything.
1: Yeah. This could be like, we do a good job here. And suddenly we're going to call from all the financial companies, right. Who have endless bottomless, like pockets anyway. So I'm waiting. I mean, she calls me and she goes, listen, Dimitri, like I need you to, I, so here's the thing. She's like, forget about the hosting. You didn't, you didn't get that. IBM got that. I'm like, IBM, I'm like, they weren't even at the table. She's like, yeah, they didn't really come, but they gave they hopefully that keeps them quiet, is what she said. And I was like, well, well, what are you saying? She's like, we know that you can do development stuff. We know you did it for our subsidiary. And we need to come in, in two weeks. I need you to present to Graco. like Graco, this is like the old, like the CEO, the CEO from Stock Exchange. So I'm like, okay, you got it. And her name was Anne, right? And I'm like, okay, Anne, you got it. And I put the phone in. I ran out to the, like the middle of the room and I was like, okay, guys, stop what you're doing. Everybody just stop what they're doing. And I need you, I need the developers to start working on the interfaces. I need the communication portion. like the front end guys. To, I need a working demo. I need you to make this thing happen so I can go in there, right? And I go into the stock exchange. Sorry, this became a long story. I go into no, the stock No, this exchange. is
0: great. This is great. I, I'm like on the edge of my seat. I want to know what's going on. So go for I, it, go I, for it. I,
1: yeah, yeah. I go into the stock exchange and brings me up to like the top of the floor of the thing. And there's this guy, the CEO sitting there. And he's half paying attention. He's eating the sandwich, right? He's just, he's so involved in the sandwich. And my guys did an incredible job. Like there's data being passed. There's like screens are going off between the member firms. Like it really was amazing. Like what we did this, and this wasn't like canned, this was real working stuff going on in two weeks that we put together. And oh, by the way, I, I pitched that business for $7 million. And, and when she called me on that phone call said, you need to raise your price. It's not, it's not it's enough. Too low. And I'm like too low. I'm, like, That was what we calculated so i went back in there for like 9 million i just kept it under 10. i didn't know what to do like i already calculated it all and i went in and when i got into this presentation and we started showing it and ann is the one who's like working it she's trying to sell me to her boss and he's busy eating a sandwich and i already knew like in my gut "Mm, this is we don't have this this isn't going anyway again i went back two weeks later i knew to wait and i get a call from her she's like listen i'm sorry she's like the ceo of ibm when golfing with, you know, Graco. And he said, how could you not give us this deal? We list on the, on the stock exchange instead of NASDAQ. You need to give us this deal. And they ended up giving it to IBM for like $18 million. Oh my gosh. And I learned a very valuable lesson.
0: What was a valuable lesson? That, that's an $18 million lesson. What? What? Mm-hmm. Tell me, what is the knowledge that we're about to, you know, disperse on the world?
1: The valuable lesson was... I, by the way, I felt very good. I beat out Dell and Gateway and all these For
0: reals, right? Like 80 people at the table. Really? And, well, dude, the way you were asking all those questions, like <laughs> – talk about a flub up on the part of, but how did they know what they were going to do in terms of the video? And like, I, I can totally see why. I mean, we talking about yeah, right place, right is. situation.
1: What, what I learned was it's all about networking and who, you know, because that's the reason IBM got the deal. Not because they were more, they were cheaper because they weren't cheaper, not no. because they did the presentation, not because they even did any of the stuff that we went through.
0: It was all about who it's you know. It's
1: all about who you know. And I realized, and I didn't feel at that moment, I didn't feel bad anymore. I felt like, I did as much as I possibly could. And that's how I feel in business. If I do as much as I possibly can do and take all the opportunities and go for it and I don't get it, it's okay. Like, I feel like I didn't, it's not, it's yeah, my fault, but it's not my fault. And that's how I felt about this. And it was a valuable lesson for me because it allowed me to understand that I need to expand my network. I need to really work on my business in a different way. And maybe it's a little bit more than just hustling. And maybe it's more about, you know
0: navigating creating some relationships that you yeah. you build upon and you you see yeah i a hundred percent agree with you because so that nugget of information there it is about who you know that reminds me of that book who not how right like it's really important to solve problems that way and, and that's fascinating to hear like the, you know the new york stock exchange when you really dig down to it they paid double for the website for the for the interface because somebody went and played golf um so so like uh, that's a nine million dollar golf like but but if you think about it really the relationship that they had and and the the relationship enough to go golf and to go talk through it and to be someone that you can trust and, and look at that you and i have talked about that right you're you're working on data right now inside jungle ace and we've talked about how the relationship is very valuable and so even though you've got a partner now, we're going to look at that again in the future as we're ready for that. It just, that ability to trust and dig in and look that way, so valuable. So yeah, valuable. Absolutely. Okay, so what major roadblocks did you see across this journey that you would say were like, oh man, that was rough. And, and one of them, you just you just mentioned one of them. It's, who do you know? Your network yeah. wasn't strong enough. Any other roadblocks that you could think of?
1: I mean, I consistently hit the same roadblock no matter what I'm doing. And that roadblock is always, how do you make people aware of your offer? It I don't find it too hard to stand out from the competition and make a better product. That part I, I feel super confident about, whether it's mm-hmm. on a SaaS or, you know, because you have time to prep before you come out to market. So you can identify mm-hmm. all the opportunities and all the things that you can do to make yours better. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem is how do you get people aware of what you're doing and that's that's tough it's hard especially now it's getting harder and harder because there's so Mm -hmm. much noise so So much much noise noise. yeah Yeah, lots and lots and that's the biggest challenge I think for anybody in any business is is getting that you know word of mouth out especially when you're in a virtual business I you know if you're in a retail location you've got a physical presence and you've got some foot traffic even though you know that may not be as good as it used to be but that you can always plan for you can put yourself next to an anchor store or something like that right um, this is a little bit different. This is more than just let me run a campaign on a Facebook yeah. an ad, an ad or something like that. This is a little bit more and it's getting more complicated. People are tougher to convince.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I, w- when you said that, it pops into my mind. We just hired a, a consultant um, over at Cellular Labs who's who's you know kind of digging through this. And he, I had not come through. So Eugene Schwartz and, and Breakthrough Advertising and, and, and his... Kind of funnel that he describes, you know, unaware, problem aware, solution aware, product aware, most aware, right? That's that's his like, you know, the describing the funnel, and it stuck with me so hard when you describe like how do I help people understand the problem I solve? Man, it is so crazy how often I'll get into something and I'm ahead of the curve. So I founded data automation in 2017, and in 2017. I called it an automation consultancy. And we were Zapier experts. We were just gonna automate stuff for other businesses. And we were running around and shouting from the rooftops and telling everybody about this data that we could transfer from system to system. And it was so hard to they were like, What are you even talking about? AP what? API? Like they did there, it just was so early in the game. For what was there, people didn't understand like the, what was even going on. And now with AI, people are just starting to recognize, oh, automation. Like it's so crazy because it's going to take the same thing's going to happen five years from now. People, Well, maybe not five years from now because it's moving so fast, but it's crazy how long it takes for that cycle and the, you know, the bell curve of people that are in the middle of it. Like I was literally before there were Zapier certified experts, I was doing that. And and then they formed the program, and I was the first Zapier certified expert to be invited to a an in person conference in New Orleans. I flew out to New Orleans, and I met Wade Foster, and I like I met the whole team, and they were like, "So you're like in the flesh. You're like one of those guys who is an expert in our system." Like people, it is amazing how world how fast the world goes. And, and I I agree. My problem as well. I'm too early many times to the game, and sometimes it's about putting it on pause for a second and watching the market go and then jumping on again, just like you waited and you said, hold on, I am not going crazy on this whole, I'm going to make static websites thing. They are going to make a Pearl or a PHP or some way to have an interface here. And when that comes, I'm going to be ready and I'm going to gobble up the market that's there. Right. Exactly. And again,
1: it's hard to do. It's hard to be patient. I have similar stories. I launched the musicstore.com in 99 trying to sell music. Instruments, yeah, and uh, I like sourced twelve thousand dropship skews and full-page ads and like Modern Drummer magazine and all that. I play guitar, so that's where it came from. And I thought we're going to kill it. We're going to kill it. We're the only music store online, and nobody wants to buy instruments in ninety-nine online. They're too busy trying to figure out how to get online. Yes, and twenty oh three, like Musicians Friend blows up and Guitar Center, and I'm like yeah, too early to market, and it's hard. It's hard to like. So hold painful. yourself back, right? Because you know, you know. So like, painful. I, I, I recently did that with blockchain because I was like, I was just, I'm going to hold it. I can't find a use case for blockchain, and that heck. I just, I, I came, I kept coming up with ideas and things I thought were good, and I, you shouldn't be inventing a solution to a problem that doesn't exist.
0: Yep. yep. Right, but and, you should be familiar enough with. So, like, there's nothing wrong with getting in and really. So, so there's another hack I, I would throw out to everybody who's listening. When you find new technology, when you find new forefronts, when you find like AI right now, it's solving a lot of problems. But the real power is you getting inside it and understanding its inner workings so that you can watch the market for the right moment to to strike, right? It's not about like, like you said with blockchain, like there's nothing wrong with you understanding the inner workings of it because then you're ready to actually spot that misconception in the market you know, and going, and I'm going to go back to it like 10 times in that, you know, you'll see in the episode, we'll reference it a few more times, but the static web page thing, right? Like how many of these market leaders, quote unquote, were just completely ignoring the, the ability to do that. And it was because they were fat and happy in their own world uh, and taking all the money that was going in there. And they didn't realize the emerging technology that was coming because they didn't need to, they, they weren't, they weren't focused on what was there. So dabble in what's new, figure out where to go into that, push out, see where it goes.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's, that's very good advice.
0: Okay. So any other ideas or hacks that you use to overcome some of these challenges? What did you, I mean, the problem aware, solution aware, product aware, what have you done to get around having a solution that nobody seems to care about or nobody seems to know about?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, depending upon what the solution is or the product is, Will determine what you need to do to try and overcome this issue. And with SaaS, the approach now for me has been partnerships and working with people that already have my audience and working up relationships with them and doing some cross promotions and going to the trade shows and promoting. You know, getting in front of the audience is the key, and being able to identify the audience and where they're hanging around mm. is really the goal. And then getting your you know getting your five seconds up in front of mm-hmm. them and hopefully solving the problem that they actually have that's been my go-to that's been the way to do it because I and follow it up with you know with traditional I'll call I'm calling it traditional advertising now
0: but like Facebook and and Google and all that <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. the traditional um, the uh, <clears throat> new traditional advertising yes. the now traditional advertising of Facebook that's hilarious Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: But that's been the most successful method. I mean, word of mouth is super, super important. And I think at the end of the day, you have to have a really good product and it has Mm -hmm. to be something people understand and can talk to others about and it saves Mm -hmm. them time and ultimately money because it saves them time and they realize they can't live without it. And then you're good to go. You just have to get in front of enough faces to start talking about it and it'll get legs on its own. Interesting.
0: So have you read Clayton Christensen, Jobs to be Done Framework? I can't remember. I think it's Peating Against Luck, I think is the name of the book. I, I'm probably totally slaughtering the name. Anyway, Clayton Christensen. If you Google Clayton Christensen, Jobs to be Done, what you just described is how he describes the idea of identifying the need someone has and then picking it apart. And I'm just going to share a quick anecdote from it because it's so powerful and, and you haven't connected with it yet. So you'll really like this. You'll be Googling it after this. Sure. He got hired as a consultant for uh, McDonald's and McDonald's was trying to figure out how to sell more milkshakes. And so McDonald's went in and, and they tried, they they put up full page ads, they, I mean, all sorts of stuff. And the, and the numbers just, you know, dink, barely went up, no real ROI. And they're like, well, crap. So they hired him and he put a team of researchers on it and they did everything. Like they went back to like clipboard and a pencil And they literally went in and they wrote down everything they could think of. When everybody, somebody bought a milkshake, the guy was writing down, oh, he's got dark hair and, you know, 30 years old, you know, like, you know, probably, you know, like writing down information, just observing what was going on. And after they kind of got a feel for the type of individual, then they started stopping him in the parking lot. And they were like, excuse me, can I just ask you just a quick question? And the question they asked was this, they said, could you tell me who? else did you hire it's funny who not how who else did you hire or who did you hire last time you had the job to be done that you're currently filling with that milkshake and the person would look at him and be like what do you mean and he's like what i mean is you have a need you're filling right now with that milkshake right now you, you there's a need a felt need that you're filling what did you do last time you felt that need and the guy was like oh yeah last time i hired a snickers bar I was hungry on my way to work and I, you know, it's a long, boring drive to work. And and, and so I felt like a Snickers bar. And the other guy was like, oh, you know what? I did a banana last time. And so once they began to understand the job to be done, long, boring drive at work. Oh, okay. Got it. Now I got it. They widened the straw. They made the straw bigger so that it was easier to drink. And then they asked questions about like, well, what did those other things not do for you? that what's the weak point of the banana? What's the weak point of the Snickers bar? And they said, well, it doesn't fill me up all the way. Or it's kind of difficult to hand, handle and drive. And so they just focused on what those comp- competing products did that the milkshake didn't, widen the straw and a few other things, and sales went through the roof. So wow. like, it's about the job to be done, which is exactly what you described, really solving their need. But if yeah. you shift it and you think everything I do in life is about hiring someone, i.e. a milkshake or a Snickers bar or a banana to solve a need, I'm hungry and bored on the way to work, then all of a sudden you can figure out how to break through that value exchange.
1: Yeah, that's that's very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. It's it. That's exactly it. Find out how you can help solve their problem, whatever that problem is. And yeah, that's great.
0: Okay. So nice. now imagine you could call back to the dude and we're not going all the way back to the 12 year old because I love the 12 year old and I love the, the like what you did there. But, but we're imagining that you're calling back to the guy who just quit his job and he's about to do the ISP thing. So we're, we're calling back to that guy just before you start to, you know, the, you, you, and you already mentioned one thing I didn't realize it was exponential. So maybe that's a piece of advice you'd give him, but if you could pick up your phone and you saw Dimitri at 22, I think you said it was?
1: Yeah, 22, 23. Uh-huh. So,
0: so you pick up your cell phone and it literally, the, the contact says Dimitri at 22 years old. What would you call him and tell him?
1: I think in, in general, my le- learned behavior that took time, which I didn't know back then, was that I have to be confident in my gut. And I have mm-hmm. to be confident in what my gut tells me and not be afraid to move forward with that decision and not confident ignore it.
0: In my gut. Yeah.
1: And it took time to figure out that my gut is usually right. And I know that's not like so black and white for everybody. Yeah. But, you know, people know the difference between being uh, good or bad in the way they act. Right. I think it's at least for some entrepreneurs, you have this sort of gut feeling like this is the right thing I should be doing or not doing. And nine out of 10 times for me, I should go with, with what my gut tells me. And so I would probably tell him that. And I would also tell him not to be afraid to say no. You know, it took me a really, really long time to learn to say no to people because websites coming in and this guy Mm -hmm. wants to pay us a third of what that guy's paying (laughs) us for the same work, but it's money coming in and I got bills to pay. Okay, fine, we'll do it. But that's not a good move. That's a really bad move you know, like learn to oh, say none. That's another one.
0: We can do entire episodes on those two things. The trusting your gut thing, a hundred percent agree with you there. in they're, understanding what is that gut feeling that you should be pay, paying attention to. And what is that gut feeling that's like, mm, maybe that one's a little too over the top and knowing who to check in. I have a short list of people that like, if I have a gut feeling that seems really crazy, I'll check in with two or three people that I know and be like, Here's what my gut says. And, and just and sometimes they'll tell me that's crazy. Don't do it. But I'm not actually because that I have, I have one guy. He'll tell me that's crazy. Don't do it every time. But what I listen to is not that's crazy. Don't do it. It's the intonation. Like if he sounds like that, like, like I can tell the level of crazy that I've thrown at him based on how much intonation he gives to like, oh, my gosh, please stay away from that or Yeah, I don't do that. Like, like you can, you can kind of feel where it is. And then based on all that information, then I decide, you know, just how crazy was I to dig in. So a hundred percent agree with you on the, on the gut feeling, the saying no thing. Oh my gosh. How many times did at data automation, did I build something that I I thought was, I thought would be cool and fun slash it was paying the bills instead of focusing on the riches and the niches and focusing on, you know, what I was best at. So many times. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, I think that would have that would have helped me quite a bit, and I would have. It's a le- but, but it's hard. It's hard to 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 learn those lessons. You have to kind of, at least for me, I had to experience that to be able to yep. control myself enough to say no to things. And yeah, yep. make decisions with. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I I still think that the knowledge, the sharing the knowledge earlier, I think I think you can skip some of those lessons to some degree or another. You can take from someone else's experience. And you don't have to, I, I feel like if I have to do it through failure, I have to fail a few extra times. But if I've read a book on it and I've learned about through someone else's failures, I still have to fail a few times, but it's not quite as painful or as drawn out. So I agree. I think that I'm um, sharing that's powerful. All right. So at the end here, we're going to give you 60 seconds. And yeah. what we'd like you to do is you've just stepped into an elevator with a, with a seller. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a seller. And you've obviously got three or four different things the seller might be interested in. So we're going to let you choose where that is. And I'm going to time you 60 seconds <laughs> right after that. And this is not included in the 60 seconds. But right after that, you're going to share any tips, tricks, hacks, or books that have been pivotal for you in the past year, year and a half. What are the things that have really helped you upscale some of your knowledge in kind of figuring out where you're going? So 60 seconds, you've stepped into the elevator with a seller. Tell us a little bit more about you and why, why should they pay attention?
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. I um, I would just say I I don't pitch very frequently and I don't take on a lot of clients. I have lots going on myself. I do help some sellers if they're big enough and they need help. They absolutely, I would welcome them reaching out so we can have a conversation. I love meeting people and talking to new people. And if I can help them that way, I will. So I would love for that to happen. I do have lots of stuff going on. Jungle Ace is the latest software. So I'll use that opportunity. Jungle Ace lets you... Uh, optimize your listings based on real data. I'm a data guy. My background, as you've heard, is is all tech. So we're really good at it. If you use the data, you're going to get better conversion rates, which is going to lead to bigger sales. And we can uh, let you try it for free. And if you like it, we'll even give you a coupon to use. Save 10, we'll get you 10% off for life. It's pretty cheap as it is now. We also have split testing. It's real-time split testing. So you can try all your ideas live on Amazon with real live data. Nobody else is doing that. And yeah, you're good to go. So save 10, get you 10% off. Jungle Ace.
0: He made it under the under the wire, love it Dimitri, that was that was awesome. Thank you for for sharing and obviously, you know you it's it's got to be the right fit. You just told us how good you were at saying no. So if somebody reaches out, don't feel too bad if it, if Dimitri says no, it's not the right fit. <laughs> he probably knows someone in his network that can help you anyway. So definitely recommend reaching out. Okay, Dimitri, what tips, tricks, hacks, or books? do you have to share with our listeners today?
1: Depending upon the size of, I think, and your listeners are not just Amazon people, right? They're really-
0: e-commerce sellers in general.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that has helped me, and I've said this during our conversation, and I I don't know if it's a hack or a trick or not, I found probably one of the best groups to join that are other sellers. And I joined that group and I spend time, and I probably should say the group name, but uh, MDS is the name of the group, Amazon sellers. And what happened is I got to meet a lot of people that are very similar backgrounds and stories. And even if this is an Amazon centric group, it doesn't really matter there's a bunch of people in this group that one guy owns a gold mine and he's doing some stuff on the side. (laughs) And I can sit and talk to him for 45 minutes or an hour. And he's gonna tell me all about the trials and problems and things that he had to go through to make this work. And like, and I'm learning from them. And that's my point identify people that are smarter than you, put yourself in a group of people that are smarter mm. than you in different things and talk to them. And I have grown my business in the last two years that I've been part of this particular group, probably four or five fold on the Amazon space because of this mm. group, because of the fact that I can talk to people that will save me the trouble of learning the lesson because I trust what's coming out of their mouths because they've been mm. vetted and because I know that they're successful and I know that what they're telling me is the real stuff, yeah. not just leaking something up. So 100%. The best, Yeah, that's been the best hack and tip and trick without me getting into like install this software and do this to up, up this. Like that to me has been consistent. Who
0: not how we're going back yeah. to who not how. It, yeah, Dimitri, I love that. I've met Athena and Titan Network. So there, there's a couple of different options there, but but really, I think it's less about options and more about choosing a place where you fit and then leaning into that experience. I, I can tell you the way that I I closed a deal with Intuit and Intuit paid us to redo their connection between MailChimp and QuickBooks. And then Mm -hmm. they never ended up using it long story, but they paid us over a hundred thousand dollars to do that. And the way that I got in the door was just, the tech evangelist guy who who happened to know and we had a, a unique specialized set of skills but it was all about who i knew right and and the impression i left with him and i didn't brush him off as somebody who didn't know anything whatever his recommendation is what got us through the door and then we climbed the ranks till we got that signed and and moved it through it's all about that network it's Absolutely. all about that connection 100% Absolutely. 100% Dimitri, cannot uh, thank you enough for your time today. Uh, that wraps it up for our episode of Monetizing Your Mental Capital. But before we go, what? how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way to get in touch?
1: The best way to get in touch is I'll give you my email. It's super easy to remember if you put my name on this episode. And just, so it's Dimitri, D-I-M-I-T-R-I, at Vorona, dot com. My name is Dimitri Vorona, Dimitri at Vorona.com. That's a V-O.
0: Beautiful. Love it, guys. Appreciate your time today. And again, thank you for all the nuggets. We'll stop it there. Perfect.